Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Canadian Story. Today, we are joined by Jordan Valeria. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's our pleasure. Um, Jordan is actually a mentor of mine. He's been making records that I've been listening to for, uh, I mean, I'm sure over a decade now. Um, He also founded Hardcore Music Studio, which is an online music production and education program. Uh, His courses have been an integral part of my own development as a record producer and a huge part of the reason why I'm actually able to do what I love to do full time now. Uh, So Jordan, I just wanted to thank you for all that you've done for guys like me. Oh, thanks, man. I didn't know that. That's that's amazing. Congrats. Thank you very much. Um, Jordan, let's start it off the way we always started off. Can you give us something you love about our country, Canada? Yeah, I think something that I love is that we have a good reputation uh, all over the world. Uh, it's one of those things where people say, oh, if you go overseas to another country, like just say you're Canadian or have the Canadian flag sewn on your backpack or something. Um, and you always kind of get a warm reception. And I've found that to be true whenever I've traveled. So uh, I appreciate that. I like that. That's that's funny that you say that because someone else that you will know, a mutual contact, Nathan Bola, oh, said yeah. the exact same thing. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. Yeah. Um, so Jordan, uh, I want to start all the way back. I want to hear a little bit about your story and uh, how you got into making records. Yeah, so I grew up, you know, playing guitar, playing different instruments, playing in bands uh, throughout kind of middle school, high school, Um, you know, punk bands, hardcore bands, absolutely loved it. I I had it in my mind that I wanted to be like in a touring band, you know, I wanted to be a professional musician in in rock bands. And that was kind of my dream until my band went to record at a studio. A friend of ours was going to school for music production for one of his projects. He brought our band in to record. And it was just one of those moments where as soon as I walked into the studio, it was like, wait a second, this is where I want to be. Like, this feels like home. Um, and so from that point forward, it kind of like shifted my my goal and my dream was to to be behind the glass, like producing and, and mixing and that kind of thing. And along with that, like right from that very first session, even though I knew absolutely nothing about recording, I I was constantly frustrated with the results that my band was getting. Like we'd go into record and it never sounded the way it was in my head. It never sounded how we wanted it to sound, especially how I wanted it to sound. And I just always was like, ah, I just want to be behind there, you know, behind the board, like making those decisions. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was planning to, I planned to go to, to college for music production at um, Fanshawe College in London. And I went there for a year to do like the general program uh, that would get me entry into the music production program. And after that year, just so happened that that same guy who recorded my band the very first time, he was just getting out of the business. He didn't want to do the studio anymore. Um, he was selling all of his gear. And I had the opportunity to basically buy all his gear and start renting the studio that he was renting. And so I just decided to do that. <laughs> um, convinced my... You know what, you know what I, I love about this, just to, to bring this out for the listeners, is you were pursuing your passion and you found your passion. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think so often people get locked in like, this is what I want. This is the only way that I can be happy. Mm. But what you were open to to the world and you entered into that room. I love that. You entered that room. You're like, this is where I belong. And right. it wasn't like, oh, no, this is different than this concrete idea of myself that I want. It's like, oh, no, I'm open to what the world has to offer me. Yeah, that kind of goes along with one of my favorite sayings that I always tell the, the people I'm mentoring and, and coaching is action creates clarity. Um, it's like the, if you want to figure out where you should be, uh, then you've got to take some steps first, you know, to at least start heading in some direction. And then usually it becomes more clear as you go. I love that. Action creates clarity. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so you buy all this guy's gear, you start renting the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll call that maybe your official start into it. What were some of the challenges that you were met with right away? (laughs) Having absolutely zero knowledge or skill at all. (laughs) (laughs) Man, what's it like to go into something that you know you're going to love and have 
absolutely no idea what you're doing. Was it was it scary? Was it was it exciting? What was like what was the the, feel, the overall feeling? It was mostly exciting. Um, like I didn't really have pressure on it at that point. Like it wasn't like I took it took over the studio and immediately needed it to be like a full time business. You know, it was more so like I'm just I knew I was just getting started, but kind of like I said, I, I always wanted to be the guy behind the board, and I thought if I was then I would just instantly be able to get great sounds and great recordings. And that turned out to be not the case at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> turned out to be a lot harder than I thought. Um, Isn't that so, always the case, right? We, yeah. we look at things and we're like, I could do it better. And I always say this about sports. I'm like, you got all these fans sitting there being like, how could he mess up like that? It's like, I know. I'd like to see you do better. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. That was exactly it. So, you know, but I, at the same time, I was only recording my own band or friends of mine who were in bands like the, the, local scene was so um alive at that point that there was just it was like i had like 20 friends and they were all in different bands so there was never a shortage of people to come in and do demos or recordings or whatever so i was just trying to teach myself um but i would say it was hard just yeah because i just didn't know anything Uh, i was starting really from scratch trying to teach myself just trial and error um and it was maybe like one probably about two years of that of just kind of like at first, I didn't care that the recording sucked. Like, I knew they sucked, but it was like, whatever, I'm having fun. But then a year or two goes by, and it's like, man, wait a second. Like, I'm progressing really slowly here. Like, <laughs> I got I to figure out something to do. Things are I, not improving here. <laughs> yeah, I still, I still had the dream, right? And I knew I wasn't really moving forward as fast as I wanted to. So what did you do about it? So I decided... Um, I thought about, okay, if I had gone to school, like, what do most people do that go to school for this? I knew I wasn't going to go to school. Um, well, they come out of school, they graduate, and then most of them go and try to find an internship or an assistant job at a bigger studio. So I was like, okay, well, I already know the basics, so I'll just skip the school step and I'll just go and do what I would have done, <laughs> which is <laughs> right, uh, right. look for an internship. Um, so I did that. Um, it didn't happen right away, but after a couple months of kind of talking to different studios, I uh, one of them kind of called me back and went in for an interview, and he somehow... Uh, I don't know, believed in me. I don't know why. I remember like I prepared so much. I had like my resume. I had a demo CD of like the recordings that I had done. And I drove to Toronto and walked in the studio and walked into the guy's office, the owner of the studio. And I handed him my resume and the CD. And he just like literally took it. And he's like, oh, okay, thanks. And he just tossed it aside. <laughs> <laughs> and Classic. Uh, Classic. showed zero interest in all in it and <laughs> just asked me a few questions and um, said, okay, well, you know, here's here's what we can do. And I thought I was prepared to work for free. Luckily, I got I got paid. You know, kind of close to minimum wage. Oh, that's wage. nice. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I got the opportunity to to work at uh, that studio. It was called Cherry Beach Sound in Toronto. Awesome. Um, I want to I want to go into something you said a little bit. You talked. So you did one year at Fanshawe, mm-hmm. and then you bought all this gear and you started renting the studio space. And at that point, you had decided that you weren't going to go back to school for audio. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a funny thing because now you have started kind of a school for audio. <laughs> so I want... That's a good point, Zach. <laughs> I, want, I want you to, to, because I deal with this all the time too, I want you to talk about um, your school versus traditional audio school mm-hmm. and uh, make the case for why you think something like Hardcore Music Studio is a better option for people who want to get into making records. Okay. So kind of the main reason I didn't want to go to school uh, at that point was that I had seen too many people go to these expensive programs for a couple years and they come out and they go nowhere like I just I had seen too many people that had gone to those programs and, and not gone on to like do their dream you know making records for a living like most of them just kind of flounder and then end up going into some other field so I just there wasn't proof for me and I think even to this day um when you look at these big colleges and stuff, it's like they never show you like what the records sound like of their students. You know what I mean? <laughs> they never right, show you the before and after. Right. Um, there's no proof there. Um, whereas, you know, with Hardcore Music Studio, it's been over five years now and we've just got like, we've got dozens and dozens of videos. We've got, you know, a Spotify playlist of dozens and dozens of real world songs that are out there. Um, that our members are doing that sound great. You can hear before and afters of what someone's mix sound like before compared to after the training. Um, There's just a lot of proof. So that's one thing. Um, 
The second thing is, I just think it's more, the other problem with colleges is is you're kind of getting like a classroom education where it's like a lot of theory of like, um, you know, here's how to use a, a mixing console. Here's how to set up a microphone. Like that stuff is, is you need to know that, but it's pretty easy to teach and you don't need to go to school for that. Um, but making records is, there's a lot of art behind it and creativity. I think it's more art than science. And I think that sometimes when you go to these schools, they teach the science, but you don't get to see the art. I think to really learn... It's almost like being an apprentice uh, in any other industry. Where I, I, mean, I love. I want to get. I want to dig into that more. Yeah, the difference between art and science, and how, because uh, I'm in politics, nothing to do with music really. But um, <laughs> but I fa- I went for. I did a four year program at university in political science, right? And I got out and got, went to work into politics. And I will say there was a lot of things my education gave me and skill in my field of study was not one of them, Mm. right? Like it didn't prepare me for the actual application at all. So what do you, uh, can you pull out a little bit more? What do you think the distinction between art and science is and what is, what makes art in a sense more, if, if not more successful, I think it does make, it is more successful, but more fulfilling than the science side of it. Why do you need the art, especially in music? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think, um, I mean, with music, with any other any type of art, like painting, um, whatever, it's you can know all the formulas, but just because you get all the formulas and the numbers right, you, that doesn't mean that you're creating something that's like pleasing to another human being. Um, and it's something that is kind of mysterious. And it's just like you have to capture something that like your feelings and your experience and somehow represent that to someone else so that they feel the same things. And it's just, you can't do that with um, just kind of a cold scientific approach, you know, and I'm sure in your field, it's like, it's a lot of like human interaction, which is, there's not, obviously there's, you know, morality and there's, there's a framework to do that successfully, but still it's like, it's, it's gray, you know, it's, it's in the moment, um, there's, there's no formula. It's the art, right? Yeah. It's the art, right? Yeah. It's the emotions. It's understanding what, what it's inherent when you say it, understanding what, and I guess in your guys' field, what tones, what beats, what, like what makes people feel a certain way and, and how, what, what are we trying to bottle up here? Cause really the way I see it is music is bottled up emotion. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a way of capturing an emotion. And you talked about that a lot in some of our other episodes where it's like the really good artists are authentically conveying an emotion. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you really need to, I mean, probably in any field, but especially in music or art, it's like the the biggest and fastest way to grow is to just get around someone who's ahead of you and just watch what they're doing and just like absorb that. And so that's why being in that bigger studio was um, so helpful for me. Because I got to see records getting made at the highest level, and it was just like, oh, that's how he's doing it. That's how he's interacting with the band. That's how he's building this, you know, step by step. And that's what I try to do with my courses. Um, I guess to circle back to that first question about the difference is like uh, the difference is that in my courses, I'm trying to like show people inside what I actually do. So rather than just a slide presentation of like, here's how to record, it's no, like come and watch me on video record a band from start to finish and I'll show you every single step that I do on an actual project, you know? And so trying to give people that internship experience while not having to, to go work for free or not having to work for minimum wage. <laughs> they can do it from from your home, right? Yeah, I would say you've done a very, very effective job of that. Um, I started with your hardcore mixing course and uh, getting behind the scenes into exactly how you put a mix together revolutionized how mm. I go about doing my mixes. Can you explain why? Um, well, uh, at the time of purchasing the course, I had been recording for probably, I don't know, eight years, a decade. Um, and I had my own ideas and I had my own flows and I knew what I was doing. Um, but I knew similar to what Jordan, uh, talked about i knew that my stuff didn't sound like jordan's stuff or, right, or other right. records you're like why doesn't it sound yeah. like that yeah and so i think i think that there's a lot that you can 
you can do at the front end to teach yourself and learn things. And, you know, you can watch YouTube videos, but there's a lot of weird advice on YouTube. Um, and people get bogged down in unimportant things on YouTube. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's the case with everything, right? Is people often get bogged down in, in extraneous, extraneous details. Like there's that Nate Silver book, right? You got to find the signal in the noise. And it sounds like Jordan was, was very good at laying out, well, this is, these are the things that are important to pay attention to. Well, yeah, and it just happened genuinely because all it, like he said, all it was was, okay, here's a song. This is how I do the mix. Mm -hmm. And inherently, I just picked up so many nuances that I wasn't thinking about. And uh, it took me, it still took me time to learn to apply them effectively, but it's been incredibly, incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to, uh, to do the full stack producer course as well, which is, uh, I think, is that the biggest course that you offer? Yeah, so I kind of had all these different courses like mixing, editing, uh, tracking, and I was selling them separately. And it just, after a couple of years, I just had too many things. And I just said, you know what, let's just put this all together <laughs> as one kind of all-in-one solution to learning this. And so that's really all I focus on selling is, yeah, just that one um, big training program with, with everything in it. Yeah, and I'll be I'll uh, I'll be honest, and I guess you can consider this a good thing. So I had bought hardcore mixing, and then about a year later, which is about a year ago now, I bought the full stack producer, and I was very interested on the uh, the section on editing, and so I went straight to that because I wanted to get better at that. Um, and I haven't done the rest of the course because I think it's been effective enough. Uh, the the phone just keeps ringing and I keep having to produce records. <laughs> Dude, that's so the best. I, uh, I, <laughs> that's the best feedback I got. I remember there was there was another uh, member who, a couple of years ago, he had bought like all these all these other courses from me, and then I put out a new one. And uh, he's like, he messaged me. He's like, um, man, like sorry, I'm I'm not going to join this one because I'm so busy in my studio. Like I don't have time to. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's awesome. that's great. That's, like, that's good. A, that's exact, good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's I the I, yeah. I guess that's the idea, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to go back to your story because there's more I want to get to. Um, tell me a little bit about that internship and what that was like. Yeah, so I worked there for about six months. Um, to be honest, it was it was a lot of classic intern stuff. You know, kind of sitting around cleaning the studio, taking out the trash, doing the odd jobs and stuff. Um, those big studios, I think to this day, but even at that point, they weren't as busy as they used to be. A lot of the stuff that came through was like commercial work, you know, voiceover, some film stuff. There wasn't that many like good music projects that came in, but there were enough that it like, let's say over the six months, there was maybe eight weeks worth of like good music sessions and a couple like top notch ones that like just those alone were enough to like, totally expand what what I felt was possible for me and what my knowledge was so you know a couple of them were um well I think um I guess to zoom out like I just got exposed to recording a lot of different things um so we did full there would be full like orchestras in there oh a couple, wow a couple times um you know big string sections uh there would be a duet with like a, a piano player and like a kind of opera style singer we did a few of those and so setting those two up in the same room and and you know how to capture that there would be a live rock band there would be hip-hop stuff and I just got to watch like someone who had done this obviously for you know over a decade and just see where they're putting the mic what they're choosing and a lot of what I learned honestly was like there, there wasn't it's not like the the engineer there was really saying like okay here's why i'm doing this like he never did that it was like mm. i was just watching and soaking it up and sometimes i would ask like hey why'd you do that or or i don't really understand what you're doing here and he would explain it but it was mostly just watching and being exposed to kind of a wide variety of situations and once you, i think when you get exposed to that kind of big um like sample size of material, I guess, and experiences, you, you start to pick out the common threads that allow you to kind of take your own approach and be able to adapt to, to new scenarios too, because you kind of see like, you know, even though maybe I didn't record a horn section there, when horns came into my studio, it's like I was able to piece together like, okay, here's, here's what I think that guy would have done in the studio based on everything else I saw. And then I would go in that direction, you know? Yeah, as someone who's... Pr pretty ignorant of all these things, even though I spend a lot of time talking or hearing about them with Zach. Can you, to the listeners that we have who don't know anything about music, and there are a number of those, what 
can you give us like a really brief summary of what does it take? Because like, I don't think people understand how much work is on the back end of this stuff. Um, like, what does it take to produce, let's say, a rock album? Oh, man. Um, well, it takes a lot. Like, usually at a professional level, you'd be looking at, you know, the writing stage, obviously, it's mostly the artist, and then the artist would get together with the producer and kind of work through the songs and make sure everyone knows exactly what you're supposed to be playing and what, what the vision is of what they want it to sound like so that by the time you go into the studio, all that's clear. Um, so you're not rewriting the song in the studio, at least, although sometimes that happens, but you want to be clear ahead of time, set the vision, you know, and then once you're in the studio, it's just like kind of piece by piece. It's like building layer after layer, like the drums and the bass and the guitars and the vocals, and you're choosing sounds um, at each level there. But you're also like, it's not, again, it's not just the science of like putting a microphone in front of something and plugging it in and recording it. It's also like, you know, what do you do when the drummer isn't, isn't playing tight enough? And what do you do if the guitar player isn't, you know, he, he's not nailing the parts? Well, you can't, you can't just still go ahead and put out a record that sounds amateur. Like, you no, know, you're, you're no, hired to no. hit a certain standard, right? So um, you got to solve those problems. How do you work with those people to kind of work around their issues or kind of pull out better performances, kind of challenge them to, to do it differently, you know, especially singers? Um, so there's a lot that goes into it and that's just the recording. And then like, uh, Zach mentioned earlier, then, then you're editing, um, then, then you're mixing, you know, and then that also gets sent off to a mastering engineer too. So there's a lot of steps, you know, you're looking at, let's say for one song, I used, I, I would do about two days of recording for one song and maybe a day to mix. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily take that long, but, um, yeah, there's a lot. There's well, then there's all on. the pre-work, right? There's all the, like you said, the artist doing the writing. Now, you and Zach, I kind of see you guys as like engineers. I guess you are sound engineers to a degree, right? You're building, like you said, you're building layers. You're 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 building a, a I always say a cathedral or a tower, right? Like this is like a work of art. So it's not you're not building a house. Like it's not like just preset. Okay, now we we put up the frame and this is how the rooms are gonna go. No, no, no. You're you're building a work of art. So. How do you see the artist in that, right? Because you guys are the guys constructing it, mm -hmm. but you're also both artists in your own way. Um, it's almost like there's a synergy between art and construction here, like between art and the, like you said, in action clarity. Mm -hmm. So how do you work with like a troublesome artist, let's say, who's like not, you know what you're talking about. You guys have not worked with so many artists. Like you're like, this is going to sound better. They're like, no, 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 no. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, what is that like? And if you if you don't want to have to say it because it'll be bad for business, you don't have to. <laughs> no, yeah, I think that's like, it, it comes with time. You know, obviously when I first started out, I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't sitting in the studio being like, you guys just listen to me, like do it my way. You know, like I didn't, I didn't know enough. I didn't have the track record, the experience. But as you grow, I think it is the role of the producer to, to really like, take the leadership role. Um, there's been lots of times in the studio where it's just like, you got to push people to do something they're not comfortable with. Or, you know, you got to just tell them like, look, I think, you know, it's not a good idea. <laughs> usually if there's an idea and I think it's not good, um, usually I'll try it anyway, because sometimes I'm surprised and I don't want to like, there's definitely been times where someone wants to do something uh, in a recording and I'm in my head, I'm like, that's the dumbest idea. Like it's not going to work. It's a waste <laughs> of time, but I'm like, you know what, let's just try it. And then sometimes it actually turns out great. It surprises me or more often that idea turns out, you know, I was right. It, it sucked, but it sparked another idea. Oh yes. Yes. You wouldn't have got to before. So, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a balance there, but to your question, I think it's just a growth process and just being comfortable taking more and more leadership to the point where, you know, the artist comes in and, and you're kind of you're kind of controlling and guiding the whole the whole session where it's like, okay, we're gonna record this first. Here's the equipment we're gonna use. Um, you know, and if the band comes in with with uh, a symbol that's cracked or something, it's like, okay, you know what, guys, sorry, but um here's the address to the music store, you need to go and get a new symbol, you know, like <laughs> right, things like right, that. Right, Not letting right. You can't, you have to hold the standard up. I think that's the producer's job. Um, a large part is like, you can't, you can't allow like mediocrity into the process. And so you're, you're constantly kind of 
holding up that standard and just being like, you know, it's not good enough. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's try something else. Um, and I think that most, for the most part, even if artists are difficult at first, they come around to that and they actually really like that. And especially if you deliver a result that sounds awesome, that they love, um, they're going to come back again and again, because I think in, in, in all fields of life, that's what's what everyone is craving is like that someone to show them the way, you know, like, yes, 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 know? absolutely. And if they're hiring well, you, you, then... you used a word, you used a word that I think is incredibly important. And I want to dig into it because I think you have some insights here, leadership, right? And this is a word that is so overused that we need to actually define it for people now. But, mm -hmm. but what you're talking about is leadership. Now you're in a situation, right? And this is a situation we all often find ourselves in where there's a, there's a butting of heads, right? It's like, let's say there's the artist wants it one way, you want it one way. And I loved what you said. You said, well, sometimes I just let them do it. And I was right, but it actually ends up being beneficial because I was, I was giving them space as an individual to yeah. create, which is different than science. It's different than grading a paper and saying, oh, this is a B plus. And right. then just, that's your work. This is your mark. It's like, no, we're working together to build excellence. And, mm -hmm. and what is leadership? It's pulling excellence out of other people. Mm -hmm. like, like, I always say, you're not much of a leader if no one's following you, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So, and, and how, do you, how do you get followed? You have to say, well, this is where we're going. And so I loved what you said where you're like, I just am calling them to a higher standard of excellence. How do you see that transform a person's maybe initial reaction to you of being like, oh, you're trying to control me? Because so many artists, in my experience, are like, oh, don't try to control me. To yeah. let me collaborate with you. Because that's leadership in a, in a way that I think I'd like to hear your, your definition of because it sounds like you have it down. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's like you got to have a direction that you're going in if you're leading, right? Um, and you've got to, when other people are kind of losing commitment and energy to follow that you've got to be able to to kind of pull them along with you um <clears throat> yeah i think exactly what you said it, it does morph and change you know even if they're stubborn and they feel like they they know better um sometimes it's just like hey just trust me you know I've, I've done this before i know i know what sound you want like let's just go a few steps uh together here in the direction i'm telling you and then you can tell me what you think and almost invariably again as long as you're hitting a high standard they're gonna be like oh yeah, that's, that's it. That's the sound, you know, in my context. And then, and then they trust you and then they start to relax into that. And, um, another thing too, is I've seen, you know, a lot of, a lot of complaints that people would say about, you know, some of the methods that I teach, you know, in terms of if the drummer can't play his part, like, you know, or the guitar player can't play or the singer's out of tune. Well, like if they're come, if they come to me, the end result is like, it's going to be tight. It's going to be in tune. It's, you know, it's going to, it's going to sound all of those things. Um, so people say, well, you know, that's, that's wrong because the, then the band can't actually play it live. And what I found actually is that with a lot of those bands that came in and they had all these problems and I still like, you know, pulled it up and, and made it into that kind of what I call the gold standard is that it actually, you're not, you're serving that artist, not only in giving them a great finished recorded project, um, you're actually serving them in that you're kind of illuminating weak areas and the good artists will take that and then it'll make them grow. Like there's been so many times where a band will come in and I have to do all this crazy stuff to like fix all their problems and they can't right. play. <laughs> and, but, but then the next time they come in, they're way more prepared and they're way better. Like not always, but a lot of times that's what happens. And so you can almost see how it like can be a catalyst for their growth because they realize, oh man, like I wasn't ready. I can't. I can't play this the way that I right, thought I could. Right. Right. And so that yeah. spurs them on to to actually get better. And okay, so I want to know how you do that. Like, I love this. You give them a standard to aim towards. You're like, well, actually, this is what you could do. This is what you could be capable of if you would put your effort in that's necessary to get to that level. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. You have to get part of leadership is is like so many people are like oh you know you're either good or you're not well actually we all suck at the beginning like you said you had no idea what you were doing when you walked when you walked into that recording studio the first time and we're like okay but because you then went and did this internship and this apprenticeship or whatever we want to call it you were able to actually see what excellence looks like and just like kind of soak it in and you're providing that to artists by showing them what they could be capable of because you know art, you know the art, their art form that well. 
yeah, that's a really good way, a really good way to put it. And usually in the studio, what I, in terms of like how that actually looks like in the studio, I wouldn't usually like explain to people what I'm doing or why I'm doing it necessarily. It would just be like, you know, let's say a guitar player sitting beside me is playing his part. Okay, okay, let's play it. Let's try it. And if I, you know, we'll try it a few, few times. And if it's not working out, if you can't play it, um, you know, I don't stop and explain like, okay, because you can't play this, we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, okay, um, just give me these couple notes. You know what I mean? I just dive right into it and just kind of like, don't allow the time for questioning. It's just like, you just say, here's the next step. Here's the next step. And then 20 minutes later, you've built something that sounds great. And then it starts to click for them and, and they, they get it, you know? So just showing, I think with action sometimes is, you know, maybe just cuts through what might normally be an hour debate clarity with, with action the band. provides clarity <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Tie that back. i love that i love there that there you go um so i want to talk now uh about your transition from um producing records all the time into uh your online business which is hardcore music studio what was the catalyst for that decision what was your mentality and why'd you do it yeah i guess it's hard it's kind of hard for me to like trace it back and think like why did i get into this stuff um but I guess in short, you know, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial kind of spark, I guess, and kind of bent that way. Um, always wanting to try new ideas to try and be kind of like different from the from the pack, you know, and that's kind of what led me into into music and recording in the first place. But yeah, I honestly, I, obviously, pat music was my passion. Recording music was my passion. Another thing I was passionate about and kind of still am is like just new technology. Um, so remember at the maybe like. 2011 ish i think um i was super busy like in the height of making records all the time but it was also like when the iphones were like really coming to popularity and i was seeing people making all these apps and i was like man that's that's so that's so cool like i want to make i want to learn how to make apps um and so long story short I, I never learned to code or anything but i but i learned again from you know buying a book and seeing what other people are doing i learned how to outsource app development and i partnered up with my brother-in-law we ended up creating these um, silly stickman games on on iphone and android and um we had a couple hit hit games um and so all of a sudden i had this new income stream and it just kind of opened my eyes to where i was like okay I'm, I'm really like at that time i was really grinding away at the studio i had been like a, a number of years like seven days a week uh, you know, 10, 10 12 <laughs> right. hours a day. Right he's, right there. he's right, he's right there. He's right there right yeah. now. Yeah. He's in the storm. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's, I don't, I don't regret any of it. I mean, I had so many great experiences and obviously it, it helped me build to where I am now. Um, but yeah, at that moment I was just like such, so in the grind. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, like this other business is making money while I'm sleeping. Meanwhile, I'm like in the studio all day. So it just kind of opened my eyes to different to just that whole world of like building a business that that earns 24 7 and um and so that kind of like cap started capturing my my passion a little more and i also it was like that passion was growing while i was also getting burnt out because i never took breaks in the studio which was the mistake mm -hmm. um and so yeah i kind of got to this point where this this app thing was really taking off and i and i said you know what like I'm just going to take a break from recording bands all the time and I'm just going to focus on this app business. Um, so, and I'm trying not to make this story too long. So it turns out the, again, the app business kind of peaked and then started tank. Like we don't right. have that business anymore. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Cause I mean, stick man games can only go so far, right? You play them for a while and you're yeah. having a great time and then you're like, okay. <laughs> we kind of got in at a magic time, you know, like yeah. when we published, there was maybe a couple hundred thousand apps in the app store by the time wow. we like published our last app there was like over a million like the competition it just got so hard um so anyway i was we we're kind of maintaining that business and i was again i had caught the bug for like business building and as i was looking at all these other books listening to these other podcasts and i heard people talking about creating online courses and i just seen the success that people are having and the impact they're having and i just thought like huh maybe I should do that. And actually my first course idea was to teach people how to build an app business, but I started doing that and it was like really hard. I didn't get any traction at all. Um, so I was like, you know what, this is stupid. Like I barely, I only have like a couple of years experience in doing that. Why don't I try to make a course about the thing that I know inside that I'm out? really good at? Yeah. <laughs> that just made total sense, you know? And I didn't, I honestly just did it as a test. I had a book um, called Launch by a guy named Jeff Walker. And he kind of mapped out the whole process of like 
how to run a, a launch campaign for a new course. And so I just followed that um, step by step. And I just created a course like really quickly. That was my first one, Hardcore Mixing. And I launched it and it did like, it did so much better than I thought. I was like, man, if I get, if I get, you know, five people to buy this, I'll consider it a success and then I'll move on to something else. That was what I thought. Um, but it turns out like 30 people bought it that first time around and I was just blown away. Um, and then even at that point, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily thinking long-term. I was just like, okay, that was cool. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm still building these apps. Like, you know, I didn't have a long-term plan, but then a month or two later, I started getting this feedback in of people saying how much it helped them. And, you know, I think there's two guys just from that first round that were like, they messaged me and like, like, man, my stuff improved so much that I'm, I'm quitting my job. I'm going full-time in the studio because I'm getting so many calls to record. And that was, I was like, what? Like, are you serious? <laughs> and so that really motivated me to like, to keep going, um, in that direction and then keep building. And that's kind of, I've been on that path, uh, you know, five years later now. I want to talk a little bit about what you just said, because I think it's really important. Like you were excited to hear that the people that you were providing this information for were doing well, mm -hmm. which is the opposite of the scarcity mindset. Right? It's the opposite of, of saying, well, if they're doing well, how can I do well? It's like, well, the more the people that I'm, the more other people do well, the happier you are. I can already tell that about you. You loved hearing Zach's story that his studio is full. It's not like there's, it's not like you're in this crazy competitive, well, you guys are in a competitive world, one of the most competitive in the, but you guys have reached a point where you see other people in your industry succeeding and that makes you happy. Yep. What is the, what gives you that mindset versus the zero sum if I'm not if other people are doing well that means that I'm not doing as well mindset hmm. yeah I mean I could say I, I definitely didn't always think that way um, when I was kind of again in the grind in the studio I would see other producers who were maybe uh, succeeding faster than I was or landing bigger projects and there was a bit of jealousy there um, but yeah it's, it's just realizing that that's that doesn't serve anyone you know and especially in this case where I'm I'm trying to teach people like that literally is the goal Right. That I yeah. want them to yeah. get to. Yeah. So yeah. if they're getting it, I mean, one one of my favorite um, examples, which you would think could be a negative thing for me, is that um, you know one of the bigger bands I worked with here, their Canadian band called Silverstein, and I did a few records with them. Um, and the producer who's from Toronto, who has done, you know, their last, uh, he 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 did like a the next like two or three records after me was actually a student of that first hardcore mixing course. So it's like, oh, yes. he literally yeah. like, he didn't take my client, not not at no. all, but like in a sense, like you could look at it and be like, wait a second, and like you you told all your secrets to this guy and now he's working with like the big clients. <laughs> right, but right. again, that's like a huge, I look at that and I'm like, man, that's awesome. I love seeing his success. And then that's great. That's better for both of us because he's succeeding in what he wants to do. And then that's also an amazing testament to to what you're doing too yeah so it's, yeah we're both winning in that um in that scenario so and you're you're right a beautiful place to drown sounds incredible yeah it's amazing sounds yeah he's so doing fantastic work yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. no i just i just want to go more into this like because the isn't the mindset of a lot of people so mm -hmm. what do you think changed your mindset from scarcity to abundance man that's a great question how can i how can I boil that down? Um, was it, do you think it was the app where it's suddenly like, oh, there's money coming in that I just did not expect to show up. And you're like, oh, there's more ways to make money. I'm not locked into this one way of making money. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. It's It was kind of like doing a lot of reading and, and soaking up podcasts for a number of years, kind of in the entrepreneurial world where, you know, the you really have to understand to build a business that you only make money by providing value and serving others yes there yeah. it is right there yes. right and if you're not helping people then you're not your business is going to fail you know if it's just all about you um so i think that just having that drilled into my mind definitely from a bunch of kind of not real life mentors i guess some but mostly virtual mentors through podcasts and books or whatever um repeatedly and you know that's reinforced um just by my worldview too, um, you know, the things I believe I'm a Christian. It's like, you know, it's, it's more blessed to, to give than to receive, you know, and you start to experience that in real life and you just want to lean more, more and more into that, I think. So those are a few, a few ways, I guess.
yeah, I, I mean, both uh, Zach, oh, I would call myself a Christian. I'm not sure. What of course, it, yeah, and, I do um, as well. But it's interesting for me that you just said the the give and receive thing because that's so counterintuitive to the way that we're taught, like say economics, right? It's like we're we're taught there's there's a there's finite resources and economics is the science of distributing those finite resources. Mm-hmm. And yet, as I say to Zach, and I think this is something that artists understand inherently, and people who work with artists and people who love art is there's one infinite resource on earth and that's human ingenuity. Mm. And, um, and I think that's what entrepreneurship is. So I would like just to hear like, so you, you're a serial entrepreneur. You're not just a, you know, you've been, you started multiple businesses now that have been successful. Uh, for the, we, we have listeners that are entrepreneurial, some who've been massively successful, some who are just starting, what advice would you give someone who's starting out as a, as a in any business, not just necessarily yours? Mm-hmm. Like, what does it take? Well, I think what it takes number one is you have to have you have to be providing something that people actually want. So a lot of people start a business based on what they think is cool, um, and sometimes you get lucky, and other people think it's cool and they want it too. But really, the the starting point is making sure that you know there's actually a market for what you're selling. So just talking to people, you know, Hey, is this, is this a problem for you? What are your problems? How can I solve that? That was like the, the building my own course and figuring out how to launch that the first time. Like that was a lot of the, the process of what I went through is, is honestly sending out surveys to people, getting on the phone with people like, Hey, what are your struggles with, with recording? You know, what things do you need help with? Um, you know, if someone were to create a training, like what would the perfect training look like and taking all that feedback and, and then creating exactly what they need. Like that is how to have, way higher chance of success in starting something is to literally just ask talk to people and then build the thing that solves their problems versus just coming up with random ideas and and kind of hoping it works so that's that's one thing and the second thing is just like focus on the things that actually matter i'm still learning this to this day i think it's a constant discipline for entrepreneurs but you know look if if you want to um if you want to paint houses and make money like you don't need to start an Instagram account. You don't need to, you know, build yep, a fancy yep. website. Like, no, like your the goal is to paint houses and make money. So like go start knocking on doors, go put flyers in mailboxes and go start talking to people and making offers. Like <laughs> start making money yeah. and then yeah. worry about all the other stuff. Like a lot of people like, it's like, oh, I need to, I need to update my branding and I need to like put five grand into my website and I need to post an Instagram story every day. It's like, no, 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 no. No. Figure out the one thing that actually brings in revenue and just do that. Do that one over thing. And over yeah. and over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I found that too with with my studio. I've I, you know, I built a website over a couple days and and I, I always feel like I need to go back and update it, but I, I don't really. I mean I I, I need to update my resume, <laughs> yeah. but you know what? People are still filling out my contact form. <laughs> and you know, I really feel like I should be posting on Instagram all the time and like having like great stories, but you know what? What's actually more important is making really, really great sounding recordings. And that's what people call me for. So I think that's a really, really great point. Yeah. (laughs) We do live in a, we live in an an Instagram world. We live in a, in a facade based world, right? Where you, where you project. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a great poem by uh, T.S. Eliot where he says, there will be time to prepare. There will be time. There will be time to prepare a face for the faces that we meet. And I feel like, I mean, he wrote that before any of social media or anything, but now we're in this situation where we're all preparing these faces. And I love what you guys are saying, which is, you know, the face is okay, but like when it get when we get down to brass tacks, if you can't do what the people want you to do, why would they keep paying you? Yeah. And if then you're just then the only people who are gonna pay you are advertisers, right? Because you have some following and they wanna like tap into that, but you're not going to get people paying you for doing what you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe what maybe what you love is like just being a charismatic, entertaining right. person, and you build yeah. an audience, and there is value there to advertisers, like you're saying. Um, but yeah, I think um, you know to your point, Zach. It's like you're bang on, and and guys, I I run an online business. I sell online courses. I don't post on Instagram. I don't. I don't. Right. Oh, yeah. that's wow. a very interesting point. Yeah. I haven't yeah. updated my website interesting in point. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you, once you provide a high enough quality product, people will seek you out. Yeah. I mean, I still have to, um, the one thing I do is create YouTube videos, but still it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not in that rat race of like endless content 
posting. You know, I've gone in my business, I've gone six months without posting a YouTube video. And like my business still goes along, you know, if I, because again, I know the things that actually bring in customers and sales and I can just do those things and ignore a lot of the noise. Um, And I think a lot of, a lot of people too are, they think that they want to be an entrepreneur and they think that they want to run a business. What they really want is just to be popular and to be famous. And those two are not, they're not the same at all. Some of the most successful entrepreneurs I, I know, nobody knows who they are. Because they're just yeah. building their business. They're not out there talking about it. I actually Instagram. had a, 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 to that point, I had a great experience. I was out in Leamington uh, visiting someone uh, who who owns and operates a whole bunch of gre- greenhouses out there. And he gave me a tour for, I don't know, it must have been two hours of his greenhouses. And the man just loved talking about every single detail, whether it's the bugs they're raising to go after other bugs so they don't have to use pesticides, or it's mm-hmm. like the lighting. And he just went on and on. I was like, it's people like this. It's go- it's people like this who are the successful entrepreneurs because they actually just love what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They 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 just love it. And I see that in what you're ta- the way you talk about your business, the way Zach talks about his business. It's like this isn't people think that oh, business owners are doing it to make money. Yes, but that is that is a nice outcome. But like to be a truly successful entrepreneur, you have to love the business itself. Yeah, I think you have to. You have to love the process of of building and growing too, and um, and everything that that comes with that, and and yeah, hopefully loving the results that it's producing in the world. I wanted to ask you a question. the The lowest hanging fruit in your business is not posting on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Without giving away too many of your secrets, in the position that you're in now as an entrepreneur running the businesses that you do, what is your low hanging fruit, and where is your focus? Yeah, great question. I think um, you know at this point I have. I have a proven, you know, training product that I know works. Um, I haven't, I have an audience, I guess the low, the lowest hanging fruit is the people who already in any business is people who already know, like, and trust you. Right. So that would be my YouTube subscribers or my email list. Um, so literally like in this kind of business, if you have a, if you have an email list of people who are interested in what you have, it's, it's, it's literally, um, you know, one, one marketer tells this, this story of how he wanted to put a pool in his house and someone said, well, how are you going to pay for the pool? He said, I'm not going to pay for the pool. My list is going to pay for the pool. And so he put together an offer and he emailed the list and got the money for the pool. So, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> uh, but again, it's like, you know, you can, it's kind of a funny story. I, I think it's true. Um, but, you know, again, it's just creating something that this group of people wants and they already know and like and trust you and then offering it to them. So that's, that's the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and that's really like, that's really what drives this business uh, is just putting, offers in front of the people who who want, want it yeah yeah i love that mm-hmm. so uh looking forward what's next for you do you have new courses on the way i'm i'm like i said i kind of combined everything i'm doing into one main course offer um so going forward um just continuing to improve that continuing to make it better and better i want to have like the best the best product in this market with the best results so just literally just it's kind of a doing a tandem of improving that while also like focusing on just getting more, getting into the hands and getting in front of more people. Um, so that's kind of what I'm focusing on that side. I'm also just about to launch a new software business, um, audio, audio plugins, um, that's launching in a few weeks. So that's kind of like with my courses, I'm kind of continuing to go higher and higher end. So I'm, I'm raising my prices more and more and providing a higher and higher service. So it's becoming a little more niche. Um, whereas the, I mean, it already is niche, whereas the audio software, the plugins, it's like, that's kind of what I'm thinking as more of like my mass market, um, Mm. business that's going to be able to have, you know, whereas in in the training side, it's like, I'm, I'm maybe getting hundreds of customers a year versus the plugins, like we're looking at thousands and thousands of customers a year, you know, just because the market's so much bigger. So, um, I'm excited about that. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I've, I've, got a great team on board with it. Uh, everyone's doing awesome work and I'm really just in the role that I want to be in with that, which is like, um, just kind of visionary ideas. Like I, this Mm -hmm. is my plugin idea. This is what I want the business to look like. And then I have the people in place who are actually executing that, um, which is allows me to continue building the training stuff, which I love. Um, so that's, those are the two things I'm, I'm focused on right now. What plugins are you building? Well, I got two coming out, uh, like a saturation plugin and uh, kind of a bass mixing uh, plugin. 
coming out, my first two. Um, but I've got a list of basically all the tools that I would want <laughs> or, you know, in the studio that I've thought of through the years. Um, I'm, I'm able to build them. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a long list of ideas, but it's just going to be really simple but highly effective tools. That's kind of, I think, Zach, you, you might kind of notice, like, in my training, I'm, I'm always trying to take really complex things and just make them as simple as possible. And so I'm yeah. trying to do the same thing in, with my plugins where maybe in the studio, there's there's something that I do when I'm mixing a, a bass guitar and normally I've got like three or four plugins and tools in a row that I'm using to accomplish the result. I'm building plugins that can do that in one plugin with like two knobs, cool. you know? So cool. that's kind of my mission on that side. Yeah, one of the best things I got from your courses is, you know, we talked about the science and then the art. You are a master of making the science get out of the way so that the art can happen. Oh, there, there's a line. <laughs> there's a line. I love that. Thanks. Wow. And uh, I, if there's one thing that I've gleaned from uh, going through your material, it is being effective enough at the science so that it's out of the way so that the art can happen. Man, I'm so I'm so happy when I hear that because it's like I could tell that you you get it, you understand it, and I I feel yeah. like I can't even take f- full credit for that because that is like the thing that I one of my biggest takeaways of that internship is when this producer named John Fields is in there. He's on Switchfoot, Jimmy Worlds, uh, but oh, there Switchfoot, I love Switchfoot. <laughs> yeah, he did he did their biggest record, and he was oh wow he was there with uh, the Jonas beautiful, Brothers. Was that beautiful letdown? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. So he was there with the Jonas Brothers for a week recording uh, of all people, and uh, I got to sit in on that session. And that was that was like literally the thing was that I had been making it all about the science, all about the gear, um, but I saw him work, and he's set everything up so quickly it's like he just he knew where he wanted the mic to be he knew what he wanted to use and it was just like it was all about the music and it was like the gear just like disappeared it was like okay we need to add this lead guitar layer okay um put this mic on the cab okay there you go pick up the guitar let's go you know it was never he never stopped to like fiddle with the equipment it was like just let's do the technical stuff as quickly as possible set it and forget it and like get on with the music that was like the number one thing I took away, which still influences me to this day, and I'm glad to hear it, you know, comes through in the training as well. Um, we try to keep it under an hour for our listeners, but I have one more question, just on a on a personal note. What do you think of Native Tongue, Switchfoot's new album? Oh, you know what? I haven't I haven't heard it. Oh, of <laughs> okay. Well, I will have to have a follow up call because I wanna <laughs> I wanna hear your thoughts on. It. I love I love that. Well, th- Zach knows how much I love it. I. <laughs> Well, Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate you doing that. Um, where can people find your courses? Where can people find your plugins? Uh, plug yourself. Yeah, sure. My, uh, Like you said, my website is hardcoremusicstudio.com. So you can just search that online, search it on YouTube to find all my content. Um, like I said, I'm not on really Instagram or social media, but um, you can find my plugins too at blacksaltaudio.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The CAD Story. That's The C-A-D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.